Friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the third week of Advent, the week of December 14th. And this is part two of a conversation on hope. Now, I realize the hope candle is the first week of Advent, and that was that was several weeks ago now, <laughs> several Sundays ago. But we are staying with the theme of hope. And with me still, Morgan and Sherry Snyder. And what we've been talking about and just recognizing is, holy smokes, there is a very serious assault on hope in the world, in the human heart. Mm -hmm. I don't mean vaguely. I mean in our hearts. And you can see it in how people are doing, and you can see it in the diminished expectations. You just... We're very aware of it. We're very concerned about it. And so looping back here in part two, one of the things that we were talking about was this sifting that God was doing that I saw him doing. And he, and he talked to me about um, during the first round of quarantines. You know, we, lo- we lost so much of our normal life. It was very hard on people. But I think that God was really exposing some things in all of us. And I think he was trying to win back the affection of his people. Mm -hmm. But I think he was also using it to shake the world because, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes and the whole world was in a foxhole. Let's just be honest. it, It, when God shakes things, it does cause people to reevaluate their lives and their values. And, and for us, it was, whoa, wait a second, my normal's been taken away. How much have I just been putting in my normal? Mm-hmm. And you've been talking a good bit about divided allegiances, mm-hmm. right? That you see God exposing that? Yeah, John, a lot this year, there's just been um, increased revelation on kind of understanding the times. Last week, we talked about discerning the times in which we live. And this culture of just more and more faster and faster, Whatever our personal expression is, that's where we find ourselves in a version of that. And And that's what wore us all out. Exactly. That's where we were coming in pre-pandemic. And one of the kind of devious fruits of that is the dividing and diffusing of our attention and our affection, where ultimately, as we know, It's a love story set in the context of war. First and foremost, a love story. I'm sorry, could you say that again? I was trying to think about what I was going to have for lunch. Okay, I've already lost my train of thought. (laughs) A love story set in the midst of war and the dividing and diffusing of our attention and our affection is a direct assault on that which is most important. And that's our intimacy that leads to union with God. And so... The question is, how do we recover that? How do we get that back? And just an example, you know, when I'm disoriented, when I don't know what to do, when I find myself in the midst of the, you know, the act three in a world at war and I'm diffused and I'm divided, often like I'll turn to the scriptures just to root myself, just to orient. Smelling salts. Right, it's smelling salts. There you go. And you just like look at the, the book of Jeremiah, this prophet, and he reminds us like, He calls it adultery, right? That we have literally broken covenant with this this marriage and this intimacy. It's it's very provocative language to say it's a love story being recovered. And then another one that's been an anchor for me is in the book of Habakkuk. So it's just a prophet 
that was a voice of God to the people in seventh century. And the people of God were besieged. They were under attack. And the Babylonians and just this war machine is about to ravage the people of God. And so this prophet pauses and he stops and he listens and he waits on God. And this prayer, John, is just so helpful to me because I don't have to come up with it, but it's this direct access point to recover hope. And he cries out, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And so the the crying out of remember, remember like uh, we have the stories yes. of how you were faithful. Yes. And, and so then he goes on, and this is such a proclamation of hope. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I choose to sing joyfully praise to you, God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior, counting on God's rule to prevail, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Friends, what I want you to hear in that is that he made a choice. Yes. When we stand before Christ and there's that wonderful moment in the kingdom when rewards are given and people's stories are told, oh, it's going to be phenomenal you are rewarded for your faith. (laughs) You are rewarded for choosing God in all of the difficult moments of your lives and especially the most difficult moments of your lives. And what you hear, what you were saying, you know, here's Babylon's ravaging again and Mm -hmm. the hammering, uh, you know, of the people of God, but he makes a choice. Yes, and the sheep pens are empty. You know, there's no fruit on the vine. Like what I, what I so appreciate of praying the scriptures is to locate myself there and say, Jesus, where do I find myself yes. without sheep in the pen? Where in my life right now is there no fruit on the vine? And so it's very intimate and accessible, and it just proclaims the sovereignty that I can rest in God is. So friends, what I want to lovingly, gently suggest is that if our hope is shaken, and I include myself in this, if if we find it difficult to locate hope these days, if we find our hope failing, maybe that's partly due to the fact that our hope has been misplaced, that we were set up for this moment. We were set up for it by the comfort culture. We were set up for it by the divided allegiances and affections of just a chaotic world that we've all been living in now for decades. It's not just this year. It's just that the culmination of the momentum of the last several decades, wearing the human heart down, wearing the human race down, and now this assault, and it's an assault on hope. And so if our hope is failing, 
maybe that's partly, not entirely, but maybe that's partly due to misplaced hopes. And I think God has been talking to you about that. God has been talking to me about that. And in some ways, it's been a conversation over the last 12 years since that major depression that I had in 2008, a literal crisis of hope and um, an absolute despair. And of course, friends, you know, and, and maybe you've heard me talk about this. Father's done so much. There was a part of that was a root of self-hatred and the movement from stupid and foolish to human and lovable and receiving the love of the Father. And there was a spiritual component of um, a, a real assignment of, of devastation against me personally and against our marriage. So there's so much to it, and I, I, I don't want to overstate, but I can tell you in kindness and in love for myself and cherishing my 30-year-old self, there was an element of um, a divided hope and a real sense of my hope was in either my ability to make my life be what I wanted it to be or needed it to be or my children's lives, you know, being able to keep harm from them. I had some very uh, non-conscious hopes and that my hope was in I was going to be able to spare my children from suffering and suffering, great suffering had come to them and they were nine months old and almost four. And to think that that had happened to them in their lives was almost intolerable to me. And then what had happened to our marriage. And so over the last 12 years, it's been 13 years, it's been so kind of God, but just slowly showing me how much hope I've had in um, this age rather than in um, the hope in the coming kingdom. And I don't mean to say that at all, like glibly or religiously. I mean, this has been in my bone and marrow, like the most intimate journey with the Father to shift, to expose my hope and, and expose it without shame where my hope was divided. So if anyone listening has found themselves with divided hope, I just come right next to you and say, I as well. And can we together as a community seek to give Father permission to anchor our hope in the coming kingdom? And I just come in solidarity as one who's needed it and who continues to need it to this this very hour on this December day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're not alone in that. God has been at work in all of us. Mm -hmm exposing divided allegiances, divided attentions, and divided hopes, wanting to anchor mm -hmm. us because the the battle right now for hope and belief is gnarly, and I think it's going to be that way for a bit. Mm -hmm. Now, not forever. Not for, I'm not pronouncing doom on the human race. I'm saying we're in a tough mm -hmm. fight right now mm -hmm. for hope mm -hmm. and for belief. So can we just remind ourselves out loud for a few minutes, what is Christian hope? Mm. So Cher, mm -hmm. given the journey that you've been on, mm -hmm. if I were to ask you, what is Christian hope? How would you answer that today? Mm -hmm. Today, I would answer that Christian hope is that um, the coming kingdom of God, that the restoration of all things, that Jesus um, by his resurrection and by his crucifixion and resurrection, um, he defeated he defeated the powers of darkness that had gotten in at the beginning of the story. That something happened in his death. The you know, N.T. Wright's word, the day the revolution began. That something decisive happened at his crucifixion. And so much of the ministry of Wild at Heart has been saying forgiveness is just one third of one third of the work of Jesus you know, so much of our resources and please go find them on 
what John Eldridge has published and taught us about the um, what happened in the crucifixion, what happened in the resurrection, what happened in the ascension, all of which is applied to us now. So there's so much hope for the life of God conforming me to the image of Jesus now and healing my broken heart and setting my captive places free. But for me, the I'm looking for first fruits now, but my our Christian hope is in the kingdom to come, in the age to come, that so much of the prophecies in Isaiah um, about the future coming of the kingdom, we're, we have it in part now, but we are waiting for the return of Christ and the restoration of the earth as you as you beautifully, John, unpacked for us. Which is so different yes. than I'm really looking forward to next year. Mm-hmm. Right. I just can't wait for 2020 to be over. Do you understand how fragile Mm -hmm. that is to put your hope in? I just want the calendar to turn. Let's just get through December. Or fill in the blank of any circumstance, right? Anything that we cannot control or arrange for to put our hope in is very precarious. One of the passages that's puzzled me for years, and I want to read some scriptures to our friends right now, 1 Peter 3, 15, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And one of the things that's puzzled me about this, no one has ever asked me for the reason of the hope that lies within me. I mean, like, has that ever happened to you? You get stopped in the grocery <laughs> store? Please, Morgan, tell me the reason for the hope that lies within you. I think Sherry gets stopped because she has that bright look in her eyes by <laughs> yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, so. exactly. But the point being, I think that's going to happen. I think mm. if we can seize what Christian hope is in a time where the world is in a hope crisis, famine, then they'll go, wait a second, why are you so hopeful? How mm. come you're buoyant? And then we can introduce what Christian hope is. So, Morgan, read Romans 4 for us. Romans 4, verses 18 to 21. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what God had promised. John, it's just so encouraging to me. He was strengthened because of God and God's promises. This wasn't first and foremost about Abraham. Or his circumstances. Or his circumstances, right. And frankly, his circumstances made this hope impossible. And so that's what jumps out is Abraham found himself in a set of circumstances where it would be impossible to hope. But because of the promises of God, he made a choice to respond and to engage in what God was doing, but needed Abraham's participation. And then, Sherry, give us Romans 5. Mm -hmm. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, 
and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The remarkable thing about that is that, friends, maybe the suffering, and and it ranges from just a whole, you know, bleeding from a thousand cuts, just a whole lot of disappointments leading right up to Christmas and and things that aren't going to happen and, you know, budgets that are tight and all that, to some really severe, severe losses. Maybe the suffering that we're in is actually producing hope Mm. in us. That's an incredibly hopeful thought. And then, Cher, give us Titus. Mm -hmm. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Okay, friends. Now, I do need to add something else this week to the conversation because it's not only reorienting our hopes. It is that. It, it is It is re aligning our hope in God. My hope is in you, Lord. But we've been talking around the issue of, hey, there sure seems to be an assault on hope in the world. And I want to go back. For those of you who have been tracking with us for a few years now, I want to remind you of something. About two years ago, we came onto the podcast and began to talk about and tell some stories about hey, we think a spirit of death has been released in the world. And there was all kinds of evidence, like bizarre instances of just strange deaths taking place, the tragedy of the teenage and even grade school suicides going on. And um, we were trying to point out, hey, we think something's happening. But if you'll remember, the story went like this. Stacy had gone in for a hip replacement. Um, you know, not a great surgery, you know, kind of a certainly rough on your body, but it's not a life and death surgery. It's not a quadruple bypass. It's, it's not, you know, the removal of brain tumors. And prior to the surgery, I felt Stacy was going to die during the surgery, but I didn't tell her. And after the surgery, Stacy told me that she thought she was going to die in the surgery and, and, and didn't want to tell me beforehand, and that she was surprised when she came out of the anesthesia. And we're looking at each other going, what? Like, this is crazy. Where is this coming from? And then we began to put some, some pieces of the puzzle together, and we realized that death was trying to get agreements in us and in the world And here's the key to the parallel I want to give you now. Not primarily physical death. It was, quote, the end of things. Stacy and I had been under this malaise in the fall two years ago that maybe we should just shut the whole ministry down. Maybe we're done, quit writing books. You know, I think we're done. 
and and then we were doing it with friendships and relationships. You know, I think we're done. I think we're done with that. And it, it was it was like coming out of this spell mm-hmm. that we had been under that like, wait a second, it, it was death. Remember that morning? Oh, yeah. And then we started seeing it in the ministry. Yep. And we were seeing it in director meetings and things. Yeah, you know, it was very disguised and very um, indirect. And then all of a sudden, it was just this theme where we saw it everywhere, a yeah. spirit of death operating. Right. And then, you know, you run that out the last two years and holy cow, right? Okay. So that is an example of what I want to share with you now. There is There are some thugs in the spiritual world that are rampaging the human heart right now. Death, by the way, is still out there. Hatred, as we have been naming. But I believe that the third major force in the world right now against the human heart is desolation. And that this hopelessness is a symptom of the desolation, just like, well, maybe we'll just let things end, Mm -hmm. was the symptom of actually it was death. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't just letting projects go or people go or, you know, giving up on dreams. It was death, but it was manifesting as, quote, the end of things, you know. So can you explain a little bit, John, about desolation and how it manifests? Obviously yep. in the form of hopelessness, but yep. real practically, what does it look like? Yeah. So um, Daniel and Jesus speak of a kind of desolation, maybe even a prince of desolation that accompanies the last hours on the earth. And then Paul, in 2 Thessalonians, as he's reflecting on what it will feel like and look like towards the return of Christ, right towards the end of of this chapter, this act, he talks about a great falling away. Mm -hmm. And in different translations call it um, the apostasy, the great apostasy or the falling away or this great rejection of Christ or something like that. So you have this desolation, this apostasy. I believe it is an actual, you know, servant mm-hmm. of the evil one that that is bringing on the human race, making it really hard to believe yeah. and making it really hard to hope. So for example, are you finding it easy to believe these days? Mm. Listeners, just kind of think about that. Am I finding it easy to believe or is it requiring effort, right? Are you waking up to joy most mornings or do you wake up kind of under sort of a emptiness or, or a fogginess or just full-on hopelessness? Is it easy right now? to look forward to things. Do you think that six months from now, everything's going to be wonderful? Okay, those are, those are symptoms of, wow, wait a second, maybe, maybe something dark is at work here. And so the way desolation presents itself, Morgan, it, it can come as a kind of barrenness, uh, and the barrenness could be of belief or of hope or of love or of joy, but it's just, you just, your soul just feels just barren or the relationship with God feels barren. Um, it, it certainly manifests itself as a loss of faith and the hopelessness. And the good news is, the good news is I'm not trying to usher in like fear or weirdness or creepiness. Hey, everybody, you know, there's this beast of desolation rampaging the human race. Yeah, but Merry Christmas. Yeah. 
And uh, let's all close in prayer. No, <laughs> no. It, it is so important in this moment. If you are going to win the battle for hope and the battle against hopelessness, you just have to take into account that there are spiritual forces that are also set against it, okay? It's not just you choosing faith. It's not just you reorienting your hopes. It is those things, Mm -hmm. but and. And we just wouldn't be doing you a service if... If we didn't say this, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you wake up in the night, you hear the bump, you're, you're, somebody's tapping on the window and fear rushes in, right? Now, you can try and talk yourself out of that fear or you can pray against it. And if you pray against it, it usually goes away, yep. right? Okay, so what I deeply, deeply believe is that we now, at this moment in the fight, yes, we realign our hopes. Yes, we choose belief, but we we also reject all hopelessness and desolation as a spiritual act of war. I kick this out of my heart. I kick this out of my home. I reject hopelessness and desolation. I choose God. I choose belief. I choose hope. I put my hope in God. You cannot have my heart. I kick all hopelessness and desolation and however that's manifesting for you, a barrenness, out of my heart and out of my life. And we have found it very helpful. So we've we've kind of been coaching you through this year and through the past couple years that it is very helpful when it comes to the hatred that's in the world right now that we bring the love of God against it. And not just by acts of love or choosing love, you really actually need, you know, this is Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I command the love of God against the spiritual forces of hatred in the world. And if you'll do that, you're going to feel a lot better. And in the same way, we've been talking about the power of the resurrection and the river of life, the river of life. And we have been bringing the river of life between us and death in the world. And we do it on behalf of our households and on behalf of our projects. And that's been very helpful. So let me add a third. I bring the glory of God against all desolation and hopelessness and barrenness and the specific ways that it might be expressing in your life. The glory of God overwhelms desolation. If desolation is barrenness, then the glory of God is its opposite, just as the river of life is the opposite of death and the love of God is the opposite of hatred. We bring the glory of the living God Paul in Corinthians talks about the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I will pray that. I will pray the glory of God in the face of Christ against all desolation. And I find myself invoking these days, and we're we're just trying to take a, a couple pages out of the lessons that we're learning to share with you, dear ones. I'm finding it enormously helpful. I invoke your glory your love, 
and your kingdom. In my heart and in my home, I invoke your glory and your love and your kingdom in me and around me as a shield. And I think you are going to find enormous relief and victory in this battle against hopelessness. So, as we close, let's come back to Advent. Morgan, as you think about the battle for hope and against hopelessness, how are you going to use the rest of Advent? Yeah, these are unique times. And I've been leaning into Eugene Peterson, and there's a particularly a beautiful book, uh, Run With the Horses, where he unpacks Jeremiah. And it, it's just very helpful because the world was a mess. I mean, Babylon had ransacked right. the people of God. They were in exile. And so it's just grounding to be like, perhaps even worse than it is now. Like, it's good to find another time where God still was, right? And in it, he says, there's not a fast without a feast, that that there is never a time that God calls us to fast without a feast of provision. And I'm aware sometimes fasting is chosen, but sometimes it comes to us. We are in a season without, right? We are lacking in very practical ways in each of our stories because of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And so, John, the question for me, and I've been keeping this my daily prayer is, where is the feast? Mm. Where is the feast? You know, he provides a feast before us in the presence of our enemies and our cup overflows. And so one very practical example is I've talked about this on a past podcast, but what the pandemic has done is it's allowed our family to be together at some point every day. And even a family of four, all the activities in the school and work, it, that is impossible on a lot of days, but in this season, we have time together. And so what we have fought for is a short but intentional process of moving through Advent together. Now, I want to confess, we've never been able to do that in all of our years. And we fight for it every year, and we get bits and pieces, but just the nature of the world in which we live We've never had that, but that's part of his feast. There are other things we don't have, but what I'm looking for is where is the feast? Yes, God. And the other piece with that that I think is important and it's parallel is in chaos. I find my true rest in confidence that God is in control. Yes. Like that sovereignty of God is not theology before it's reality. And God is a person and he is capable and he is kind and he is intervening. Yes. And so just even like Jeremiah's prayer is blessed are those whose confidence are in God. Yes. And therefore they will be like a tree, you know, where it says, even in seasons of drought, they will bear fruit. Jeremiah 17, if Jer you want to go read yep, that. Jeremiah 17, folks. read it. It says, your roots go into the river of life. Yes. And therefore, even in a drought, yes. in a time of lack, in a time of withholding, your leaves are green. Yes. And so I want to stay in my prayer, in the promise that God is in control and that he cares deeply and he's providing a feast. He is. And even to ask him, where's the feast? Right. What, what do you have for us this season, yes. Lord? We've got two more weeks of waiting. And Sherry, how 
how are you going to use these weeks? How will you recommend our friends use these weeks of waiting? Mm -hmm. I recommend asking Jesus to bring a friend to you, or maybe it's um, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's one of your kiddos, but to really dream about the coming kingdom and talk about and the return of our Lord and. Jesus has brought me a relatively new friend who's an ally in Wild at Heart and to spend time with her and to talk about the coming kingdom and to encourage each other to continue to hope in it and then let any suffering produce perseverance in us is just, I can't tell you, it is it is so fortifying. Um, what I'm going to do is spend time with Morgan and with my friends and talk about the kingdom, dream of the kingdom make as vivid as possible to me the hope of the coming kingdom. And it will fortify your heart. It will. If you haven't had Advent as a part of your ritual over the years, you can still do it. Uh, we have an Advent wreath. It's four candles uh, and the Christmas candle in the middle, if you do that part. Uh, but we light it every night and we sing Christmas carols around it. And it's just a joyful way of choosing to stay in the larger story and also to pray, dear friends, the way that I was instructing you to pray a few moments ago. Please, if you find these two podcasts helpful, share it. Share it with people that you know are in the battle for hope right now. We love you. We bless you. And we'll be back Christmas week. 